1: Whenever Cassie's parents had a cocktail party or hosted bridge night, Cassie waited until no one was around and hoisted herself up onto the kitchen counter. Her thin arms wobbled until her knee, one knee, then the other, felt firmly planted. She took a few breaths before she stood on her feet and found her balance. This is GP Gottlieb, host for New Books in Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Garnet. Kilberg Cohen about her fourth story collection, Cravings. It's about people of all kinds who are confronting past failures, previous mistakes or moments they wish they could do over. A man recalls a fall that changed his family's life. A woman recalls an abortion that went bad. An aging hippie confronts the death of his best friend. These are stories that stay with you. Well-told tales filled with details and enormous amounts of pathos. Hi, Garnet, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galen, I'm so delighted to be here with you. So the stories in this collection were written at different times and published in different journals. How did you tie them all together,
0: choose them to go in this volume? Well, when I was looking to put a collection together, I tried to find ones that had something in common thematically and um but at the same time I wanted something in common thematically I didn't want too much sameness so that's sort of the challenge um so I took stories that seemed to have something uh, about desire in them really um and most of the, so most of the stories have someone wanting something desperately and um, And then I went from there. That means that there were some stories that are even more recent than the ones in this book that were not included in this book. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What inspires you to write a
1: story, for example, about a child who remembers her life falling apart while she's sneaking into the pantry for some olives?
0: You know, it depends. It's different things that inspire different stories. Memories sometimes... Uh, inspire stories I can usually be pretty certain if I have a memory that's potent that I don't forget even if it seems if it seems kind of bland or something that if I keep coming back to that, it will lead me somewhere if I write it. Sometimes it's an image I see and over a conversation I overhear, a person who enters my mind. um, A story in the book, um, Maternal Instinct was inspired by a news story. Um, I heard that a little boy had fallen in a gorilla pit in a zoo. I knew nothing more about it than that, but then I tried to imagine what it would be like to be that little boy. Well, about that
1: one, why does his accidental fall completely
0: change the trajectory of his life? I think it's more about how people treat him after the fall and his memory of the fall he has some memory that he's not sure if it's correct or not. And I think when you get to that end of the story, what he remembers will be a big surprise, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, so
1: going back to the one about the girl who snuck into the pantry to get the jar of olives, how, what, was the, what triggered that?
0: that was actually a memory uh, how um obsessed i was with salty foods when i was a little girl and i just kept thinking about that and kind of going over it in my head and i started writing it and once i started writing it then other things came to me not that were fictional that had nothing to do and the girl became a girl not me anymore
1: right she had she was her own person um in Slow Dance, a woman recalls her ex-boyfriends, including one and someone she married, and one she met while standing in front of an appetizer spread. So there's a, there's food sprinkled throughout the, the stories. And she breaks up with that guy and marries someone else, but she never forgives herself for lying. So there's a lot yes. of people who don't forgive themselves for mistakes they made.
0: And I think that's sort of the point of that character. I mean, I'd like all my characters to be different, but I think there's a lot of my characters who don't necessarily forgive themselves for things uh, that, or or they don't necessarily forgive other people, but more often themselves um, for, and in that case, it was for a lie she told. Right. Um, So then we're in a story that's
1: named after the town, Ogden, Ohio, and it's a young single mom who recalls a high school star. She remembers back to high school, and this star comes back to town, and the visit inspires her ultimately to leave the town. What was your impetus for creating those characters, and why Ogden, Ohio, and it's very involved, actually. There's a lot going on there, a lot of back and forth in history, but super interest. What happened? Why? Um,
0: Well, I think one of the things I do in most of my short stories is I like to talk about how the past informs either the future or informs the present. And I was interested in how this character could get out of town and why she would get out of town. I was also for this one inspired a little bit by Winesburg, Ohio, and the whole setting and scene of of a small town and how it's different from the story before that takes place in Chicago, I think. Um, But how a small town where everyone knows something about everyone else, how that changes things and transforms things
1: it's one of your themes there are several small towns where people are everybody knows everybody and there's a certain amount of gossip and a certain amount of uh everyone knowing you from the beginning to the you know like any mistake you made someone remembers it's kind of really kind of cool um Mm -hmm. there's a story about severely handicapped child and it's heartbreaking her story but you don't focus on that you focus on um the mom asking the dad to write a note a suicide note well oh, that was so breathtaking and shocking um we don't have to say what happens but what what were you thinking what triggered it why why did risa take
0: second um why wasn't it focused on her? Well, I think it might have been too sad if it was focused on her. Probably, um, yeah. And, uh, and I, although I'm drawn to sadness and conflict, I don't want it to be so sad or depressing. Um, but I'm also interested a little bit in true crime. And um, and I'm just interested in, I see people get people to write suicide notes, Um or come up with things that seem like suicide notes. So I, I sort of wondered, how would you go about doing that? But it wasn't a conscious way of getting into the story or starting the story. I was thinking about how both parents were at their wits end and because of their daughter's serious illness, they weren't sure they wanted to go on. So that, that was how that came into the story.
1: Also, they uh, the money was just, there was one medicine that was like $100,000, and yeah. they were trying to figure out a way. It was just heartbreaking. Um, but you're right, it, you didn't focus on the sad parts. I read the whole collection on Kindle, so I didn't always see the names of the stories. But this is the one about the author who goes to her ex-boyfriend's book launch and she was the one that helped him write the book. And he wouldn't even have written a book without her. And she's an author who's struggling. And this guy writes a book and he's having a fabulous, you know, clearly he's going to have a fabulous career. So all of us writers with books out there, we, we were all <laughs> sitting on the edge of our seats in that. Um, I empathize. Well, I do think
0: most writers uh, have some jealousy of uh, uh, their friends who are more successful um, than they are. And that was sort of what I was dealing with there in that story. And by the way that the title of that story is Her Life and Parties. And as you probably recall, it goes, through other parties, she went to a party that has skinny dipping, which if you had people have the paperback edition can see that on the cover of the book is the skinny dipping um, episode. And that was something I also considered thinking about for for a theme to pull everything together. The idea of parties, um, because almost every story in it has at least one. You're party. right. Oh, that is so true. I didn't connect that.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, now I'm just like looking through them all, thinking about it. Um, so then we get to the one where Ace is struggling through the streets of Chicago, plotting his getaway because his kids have uh, just decided that he can't drive anymore. And it set me remembering that we stopped our father from driving at about 85 by convincing him that his a gentle, a businessman of his position really should have a driver. <laughs> and it was a horrible, you know, difficult, so I felt it for the children, but then we're seeing from the dad's perspective. And it was really funny at times, moving, but there's this pathos that we understand. And he hatches he hatches a plan in the end.
0: Can you say more? Who is he? Yeah, I <laughs> I just want to say something about what you, how you got your father to quit driving. That is really clever, right? Um, yeah, that was really good. Um, but uh, I think it's a problem. It surprised me how many people related to that story. I enjoyed writing the story, and it wasn't based on reality. Um, Although I did have to tell my father that uh, my mother needed to quit driving and he got very upset about that. But it came from the fact that I was in China and I can't remember the age, but I learned that everyone had to quit driving. It was either age 60 or age 65 no more license oh my god my
1: friend's father just got his illinois driver's license at 99 it's it's wow it's for two years
0: (laughs) (laughs) well well and also in china it a lot of the older people were had children under the one child policy. So this puts a lot of burden on the children. But I I and I also with that story I've got the first idea for it. I I really started with the image of a little boy playing in the dirt with toy cars and moving them through with his hands in the dirt. And that was just a strong image for me and I did not know where it would take me I think I, and, but then it took me to the idea of how attached so many men are to wheels and cars and vehicles and um, got me thinking about the China situation and my own parents and um, a lot of other things. So, and that was, it ended up being fun to ride because I didn't know where it was going either. Right. Um, Julia. It, it, it's just
1: a lovely story about a, a woman and her niece who is orphaned, and she gives her these true-false quizzes mm-hmm. They're a brilliant way to find out what she's thinking as a child and then as a teen and later as an adult. And she has this wonderful relationship, and she grows up. She gets married.
0: She has a life, but why is
1: it called a practice life?
0: Well, the idea for that story came from... I live in Chicago and I was walking down Southport and there was a sign in a window that said, this is not your practice life. Oh. And I thought about that a lot and what it means not to be your practice life. And I think all of us think in a way we're gonna get another chance, another go round, or something. Um, And so it started with that idea. But also I did actually go with my niece to past life, um, a past life session where they Oh, you went to one. I actually went to one. It wasn't like this one. And my and my niece it didn't have the tragedy of losing her mother. And I didn't have the tragedy of losing my husband. But those were elements of the story. Um, but I, I like the idea. I think I may have played a true-false game with someone once in my life. But, uh, but I don't remember it um, enough to have it come into the story. But I like that as a construct and to structure the story to keep going back to the true false.
1: Yeah, I liked that too. And then we're with this in a Montana bar. It's a freezing ice snowstorm with, you know, several feet of snow in the roads. And these are a group of societal outsiders who lived in the area for years who've clearly come from elsewhere. They're working or, you know, Just base jobs. Everybody thinks it's sort of temporary, apparently, and their lives seem to be on hold. And then one of them suddenly dies. Will that, will anything change for any of them?
0: I often tell students when I'm teaching uh, the short story and writing the short story that the end of the story the images in the end of the story or the language in the end of the story tells the prognosis for what's going to happen to those characters. Um, And I think because you don't end with and then they all died or then they got rich or any of those things. But the end of that story, the image in it, which I won't reveal here, i is supposed to suggest the prognosis for for the primary character for sure but probably all of the characters um but a prognosis also is not definite they still have a chance but um but it's unlikely uh, that they're going to get out of their situations given that final image
1: we all see those kinds of people and we all hope our children don't become them basically yes. they're just not living to their potential they're just getting by it's right yeah. right and they're
0: scared sometimes runaways from society scared um and sometimes just get got sidetracked and just didn't get back on track they think they're gonna any day now get into the real back to their real lives
1: it's again, right it's a practice life yes that's yes, another yes. thing um can you talk about this is your final story of the collection can you talk about weaving biblical verses pig farming peach jam and the way a single bit of gossip can change lives into your last story
0: well I'm going to say I know as a short story writer you're not supposed to have favorite stories or maybe you're not supposed to just like you're not supposed to have favorite children <laughs> that's a good story Um, partly because everything in it is so unfamiliar to me. I've never lived in a farm, a pig farm. Um, I've, I have lived in Michigan where the story takes place. Um, but I really, Something told me about this character, something that I can't really describe. It's not from a memory, and it's not from something I saw. Um, and I just really got into this character, and she is probably the most fictional character in the book. They're all fiction, but they draw from my life somewhat to draw from someone that someone I've known's life but I didn't know this woman at all and um so it was interesting to me where she took me I wrote it in a couple weeks I think maybe a week and a half but every morning I would get up and go to the computer and it was just like she was there in the computer waiting for me and we'd take off, and I'd see where she was going, or what her husband said, or what she was doing. Uh, That's not to say I didn't have to revise it and shape it at the end. I did, Um, but um, I, and I had to look up things. I don't know anything about uh, canning peaches. Um, I didn't know much about biblical verses, and the editor one of the copy editors was like which bible did you get this for these from and i'm like i Mm. don't know Uh, (laughs) you know i just would think of a biblical phrase that fit i'd google it and i'd add it and then i had to go back and make sure they were all from the same bible or there was uh you know they were or 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 there was some uh, there was some excuse. I don't know if you remember this from the story. She changes churches. Yeah, from and... Seventh Day Adventist to Baptist. Yes, and then she doesn't remember which where she's remembering the biblical sayings from, where the the Bible used by the Seventh Day Adventists or the Bible used by the Baptists. And I have known Seventh Day Advent. Adventist and I can't even say it and I have known Baptists but in no way have I known anything about their lives and death yeah no so that's why it's fiction
1: yeah <laughs> um, that was also my favorite story in the book it was really a wonderful oh. story so so Garnet, what are you working on next more short stories well I'm
0: always working on short stories but there. Two other projects. One is I write a lot of essays, and um, and I've published a lot of singular essays, but I haven't I haven't published a book of nonfiction. I'm not sure how to shape these essays into a book, but I'd really like to do that. So I want to work on that. And I will also say that, oh, summer before last, I think it was, I started a novel. And, um, but then when this book got accepted, the working on this book, the revising, the reorganizing, everything um, took up so much time that I put the novel aside. And so I'm planning on going back to the novel, and I'm also planning and looking at the nonfiction and seeing what ways I can shape the nonfiction into, into something that has some coherence um, or cohesion. Or And I'm not sure. Some are very personal. Some are not. Some are just meditative. I have a long essay that's just meditates and taking a bath um and then others that are very personal about my life
1: sounds really complex and interesting i'll look forward to it thank you so much for joining me today garnett it's been a pleasure
0: oh i i've really enjoyed talking to you and i so appreciate how carefully you've read all the stories sometimes i'm interviewed i i did recently have an interviewer who'd read all the stories as carefully as you but sometimes it occurs to me part way in the interview oh they never read the book yeah (laughs) still i appreciate being on a show and getting the, promoting the book, but it's so much more fun when it's a smart reader who's paid close attention. So thank you.
1: And thank you for joining. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books in Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Garnet Kilbert Cohen about her latest collection of short stories titled Cravings hope you all have a good book to cuddle up with tonight and always thanks for joining me happy reading